Welcome back. This is the Knicks Wall Podcast presented by Whistle Sports. I am your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, Kyle Maggio. Kyle, how are you doing? What's going on, man? Uh, I'm good. Agitated, but good. <laughs> we'll get to that in a very quick moment. But we have a very special guest today, podcast OG, Brian Giverman. Brian, welcome back, man. How you been? What's up, fellas? I'm good. Well, yeah, we, Kyle. We, just, we decided to let Brian back in, so I apologize to all the listeners. Uh, <laughs> he had some takes to get off of his chest, so here, here he is. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do the song and dance like the old days for you guys. So, I mean, what better place to start off? This is going to be – I have a feeling this is going to be the top storyline, at least for the first half of the season, just amongst Knicks fans, not with the team, but Dennis Smith Jr. versus Frank Nilakina. Kyle got into the Twitter fisticuffs a little earlier. I'd like to clarify. To do good. All right, so Kyle, you explain, and then we'll go from there. I'd, I'd like to clarify. Okay, first of all, if you follow me and any of the things that I say, then you would know that I don't consider Frank Nilakina a point guard on this team. I don't consider him a point guard on this team because the Knicks don't consider him a point guard on this team. It's very simple. He's a sometimes a two guard, sometimes backup PG, sometimes just your three out there. They play him a number of different ways. This has been the story for three years. That said, somebody, somebody that we, a lot of, you know, Knicks Twitter follow on Twitter, um, you know, I think at Doc Kev, you know, good, good guy, internet pal, you know, respect his opinion, obviously. He just tweeted that he wanted to see quickly Frank, RJ, Obi, and Mitch. And then me, again, if you follow me, listen on this podcast, I've seen literally anything that I've ever tweeted. I don't censor myself. I, I'm, it is what it is. Maybe it sounded aggressive to the followers. I don't know. I said, get Frank the fuck out of here. I want to see DSJ quickly, RJ, Obi, Mitch, which to me is a drastically different lineup because all, all I'm saying is, yeah, I, I, to me, quickly's the big knock on him is that, well, he doesn't really have good ball handling ability. So I don't really feel like putting him at the one, even if you do the point forward thing with RJ. I just think having two guards out there that can't really handle might not be a good thing. So all I wanted to see was a guy who, again, the, the consensus was Dennis had more offensive upside, I would imagine. I think that has remained true even when he forgot how to play basketball. So all that I was saying was – all this stuff that I'm hearing about the developmental staff, all this stuff that I'm hearing about helping the young guys and, and Knox needs to play and all these young guys need minutes. All I'm saying is for one of those guys who's only 23 years old, I would have liked to see him play a PG. We already know what you're going to get at Alfred. We've tried Frank at PG. We know the, the Knicks aren't even going to start him there, so it's not even a discussion to be had. I'd prefer to see the quickly playing more off ball where he could be more effective at the NBA level, in my opinion. Opens things up for RJ and the rest of that lineup versus just forcing Frank in there with two, you know, kind of sus ball handlers. That's all that I was saying. So if the fr get Frank the fuck out of here sounded aggressive. Look, I always root for Frank. This has been the case since we drafted this kid. I've rooted for him. I was in on the bandwagon, and then he disappointed me. You know, all that I'm saying is we got to be realistic about what he is. He's not a guard. He's not a guard. They're not going to start him. They're not going to start him, let alone a guard. So I just think we got to let that go. 
he's going to come off the bench if anything. But I, I just felt the lineup that I was responding to, I was like, yeah, I'd rather try Dennis. I think there's more offensive upside. And then I'm getting dunked on. Look, if, you, if you're out on Dennis, I understand. It was really ugly last year. He forgot how to play basketball. I've tweeted that more times than I can count. It was really ugly to watch Dennis Smith Jr. play basketball last season. You should probably be out on him. I understand. All I'm saying is I'm not. And I think with a developmental staff and Tibbs, who's had some success with point guard reclamations, it's not absurd to me that they wouldn't try him there more. And I think it might be more fruitful for us in the long run. That's it. That's all that I was saying. Okay. Now it is important to point out that I agree with you to an extent. I do think that lineup that Kev did share, I think that's an interesting starting lineup, especially towards the second half of the season. I do think Frank being a low maintenance defensive minded person is exactly what you want. If you want to bring out the best out of RJ, OB and quickly to an extent, but I just don't get why people are just so visceral towards Dennis, especially if Dennis, I think what was the lineup you said in Slack? It was Dennis, Quickly, RJ, OB, Mitch. That's that's a fine lineup too. I do think it's worth finding out what we have in Dennis because right now his trade value couldn't be any lower. So what's the point of throwing him out? That's just my feel on it. I like both guys. think they fit with a couple different combinations. So why not just try and run that out first? I wouldn't be against any of these guys. So that that's where I'm a little confused on both sides of people hating Frank and hating Dennis. It's like, you can like both. Yeah, there's there's plenty of room for both of them this year. Uh, they gave Alfred Payton a one-year, $6 million contract. Um, I would expect that he's probably going to start the season unless one of Frank or Dennis just come out and ball in practices and the preseason games, and they, they rip it away and they take it away from him. But, I mean, Alfred Payton, as much as – the fit might not be as clean and what we think of what Knicks fans think of him. He's a, he's a league average ish point guard. He's one of the, one of the worst starting point guards, but he's, he's a competent NBA player and they'll give that guy a shot at the beginning of the season. It's nothing to freak out about over the course of the 72 game season, there's going to be injuries paid and gets hurt every single season, uh, this season in particular, who the heck knows what's going to happen. There's going to be, there's, there's going to be plenty of times for all three of Frank's going to get his chances. Dennis is going to get it. And Dennis are both going to get their chances. And when they do, one of them just needs to, needs to take advantage of it. There's the roster has guys, guards and wings now that, can fit with both of them and accentuate the positives of both. Like you can, you can create lineups that make sense. So we'll, they'll both have chances and hopefully they do well with them. Yeah. I, look, all, all that I'm saying is, and I think as much as everybody wants to talk about how bad Dennis was last season, I do think we're overlooking some fun stuff that he did with some of the young guys too. You know, he did actually show chemistry pretty immediately and pretty consistently with Mitchell Robinson. He was finding him a lot, either in transition, on lobs, pick and rolls. They were working very well together when they actually, you know, when he got here, when he was healthy, when they were actually playing in, in lineups together. So I'm just saying, I think that there's a lot more to that, especially if you're going to, you know, bring in OB as potentially a starter or a big minutes guy on this team, 
where we know that they drafted him for offense and he's going to get looks, you know, I just think like, yeah, a drive and kick kind of PG, at least in theory, makes a little bit more sense. And again, you can hate him, you know, off of the strength of him for getting out of play basketball last season. I understand because of how ugly it was. I'm not saying to overlook that. I'm just saying you also then have to take into account the two full seasons prior to that. And, you know, even just with Mitchell Robinson when he was here, who's still a big piece of this roster for this season, at least. So it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's a little bit more positives than people are leading on here is all that I'm saying. And I think for, again, this is supposed to be a highly touted developmental staff. It's all that I've been hearing since they've hired them or been rumored to have been in on these guys. You know, if if that's the case and he had some success with Mitch and he's a highly touted prospect coming out of, you know, school it was like I I don't see what the concern would be for trying him out a little bit more and again it's not just me I don't think and guys correct me if I'm wrong here but this is sort of the vibe that I thought the Knicks were giving us because it seemed like either they were just trying to up his trade value but they do this every year remember last year Dennis was dominating coming into camp dominating he looked like a totally different person he was taking over you know camp and practices that's all you were hearing Fisdale say and then he came out and looked awful right but then this year same thing, like, oh, yeah, you know, they're expecting a big year from him, a bounce-back year. He's been, you know, you know, they changed the the shooting coach, and, and he's working on his jumper, and he's been in the gym for months, and, you know, that this is going to be a big year for him. The Knicks want, you know, want to try him out again. So it's like the Knicks have been putting this stuff out there, either to bump up his trade value or, you know, if that failed, now that that's public information, like, you've, you've put that publicly out there to back that player. So to me, it's like – you know, intentional or not, you've sort of been talking about this idea anyway. I just think people got to kind of get over like what, how bad that looked last year, because clearly the Knicks, you know, whether they're trying to move him or not, are planning to try to use him to some degree. It seems like a lot, a lot of press, a a lot of little leaks, a lot of things to put out for a player that you're never going to play or never going to move. So something's up with that guy at the end of the day that you might as well see what you had. You traded it. That's the only player you still have back from the KP trade. You, you swung and missed with the cap space. You know, we're still waiting to see what the 2021 draft, 2023 drafts bring. It's like, you might as well see what you have in a year where there's really nothing for you at PG. I don't know what's so hot about that take. It really perplexes me, but some of you guys just want to be angry about it. So it is what it is. I'd like to move on now. Because the other thing that the actual thing that lit Nick's Twitter on fire today was Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, you know, member of CAA, member of former member of the Kentucky, uh, you know, John Calipari teams, uh, is now a New York Nick. And I think people were surprised a little bit that they actually went through with it. It was a rumored thing. Um, I'm not really surprised. I think I was halfway expecting it, but obviously I don't want him here I think it's a waste Uh, I think we're just wasting everybody's time I think it's just another like CAA favor but um, it is what it is I I don't think he's really going to make the roster so there's that but what was your guys takes on it where do you think this goes it's an exhibit 10 deal so it's mostly just a training camp deal but again anything could happen nothing with this team would surprise me either so what was your guys reaction to this I had I had no reaction really. My reaction is it's a training camp contract and I don't care. Uh, they have pretty much the only bigs on the roster right now are Randall, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, 
and Omari Spellman. So they added another person who could play the four along with Knox and, and Iggy. So yeah, he's a body that if he plays well, can earn a spot. If he doesn't play well, he won't be on the team. So I don't really think there's anything. This is going to be a pretty big theme of me on this podcast. I don't think there's anything really to get riled up with about the Knicks this year. And uh, this Michael Kidd Gilchrist signing falls right in that category. Yeah, it's it shouldn't gauge reaction. I will preface this by saying I am a hypocrite for liking this and hating Alfred because in the grand scope, they're kind of both insignificant signings. But I did think it was just a training camp deal until I'm trying to find the article now. I saw, I think it was Ian Begley, he was writing about that the Knicks, he might make a roster spot. It was just like an article talking about a way for him to find it on the, himself on the roster. The only way I'll be open to that is if Julius Randle is gone. I feel like that's still the top priority for this front office now. So if that, if that happens, if Randle is gone, I'll welcome Michael K. Gilchrist on the preface that he only plays power forward because his numbers are underwhelming, yes. He got torched by Melo, yes. But, I mean, he plays defense. He could be a good end-of-the-bench guy. And most importantly, I was talking about this in Slack earlier, at least with this strategy, and by this strategy I mean going after CAA Kentucky guys, at least there is a seeable payoff. Like, in past experiences with LeBron, Durant, the only thing we had was like, hey, here's cap space. You can bring a friend and do whatever you want. Like, that's not really a pitch. Here, at least, you have Coach Cal at the college level as your spokesman. He was already on camera talking about how much he expects from the Knicks and routed off the seven guys already on the roster. That's a good person to have in your corner. And eventually, one of these guys, Booker seems unlikely now, but who knows what happens. Carl Towns is a good bet to hit the free agent market, and there's more to come. So I do like these deals, like these mini deals that kind of pay off in the end. I mean, we kind of saw it a little bit with the Lakers and KCP, and that ended up working out well for them. So I think Kid Gilchrist is more of a PR play. He's very close worldwide West. And if it turns into more than that, I'm okay if they get rid of Randall, which, like I said, should be top priority. Yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to for me. Like, you, you got to get rid of Randall. But even then, I don't think the Randall thing really factors into the MKG thing. I think the MKG thing is just its own entity for the most part. You know, like, the, the only real Randall complication for me is you, you drafted Obi Toppin, who's a mostly NBA-ready prospect, um, at least offensively you didn't draft him to then like bench him and give him 15, 20 minutes a game. You know what I mean? Like you drafted him to play in bigger minutes. So that's where I think the Randall thing figures in. I think MKG is, you know, I don't think it's worth spending a lot of time on. Cause I do think it is just a training camp thing. You know, I think earlier I, I saw the outrage to it and obviously from the Knicks while we joke, we always joke. That's the point. Everything's a meme. We always make jokes reactionary. It is what it is. So we tweeted, obviously the mellow picture. We tweeted his, busted disgusting grotesque jump shot and that was about it I mean aside from that we're like yeah I mean I think personally if I wanted to like split hairs I you probably could have signed somebody more worthwhile to a training camp deal I feel like I, I feel like M, you know MKG didn't exactly have offers left and right and for a team uh, in need of offense and things always I think if you're going to take some stabs at you know, high-risk things on the margins like that, it should be on guys who maybe can shoot a little bit more, play offense a little bit better. That's just my own, like, again, splitting hairs because generally none of these things end up resulting in the guy staying on the roster, playing big minutes. But we'll 
we'll see. I, I just think, you know, this is like the cherry on top of like a very meh off season, like Brian was pointing out. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of like what we were talking about right before we started recording. It's like, I, I don't think they had a bad off season. I think it's just a very whatever off season because we still all really don't know the plan. We just know that, okay, you added Obi. I think most people were fine with that to different degrees. Some people liked it a lot. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody was truly furious. Um, or not that many anyway. So it's like the Obi thing was fine. Quickly they addressed shooting. Powell, they took a chance on a guard. Alfred, nobody really liked for kind of the Julius Randle reason. You know what I mean? On top of him not being able to shoot. But like, aside from Alfred, people like Noel. People even talk themselves into Austin Rivers, a guy who could shoot the ball, at least league average, sort of, kind of. Uh, plays good defense. You know, three years, $10 million deal. That, that That's fine. That's fine. Somebody would take Austin Rivers. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think the offseason as a whole is just very meh. It's like just another stopgap year, probably a better stopgap year than last season was. But, uh, you know, I, I still just kind of feel like a, a move's coming now. Like they got a, you know, they have a bunch of guys on, on signed. I think they got to have 15 at the end of training camp, obviously. I think but, they have 20. Yeah, 20 right now. So I, I do wonder if something, I don't know, again, this is my question to you guys. I don't know if you think there's like a move coming before training camp. I'm not saying it's some superstar swing or they're going to do a rust or wall thing, but, you know, it could be a Randall thing or something else. But do you guys get the, the suspicion that now that they've signed, kind of locked in the contracts that uh, some kind of overturn, some kind of trade could be coming? Yeah, I'm looking at the roster right now. I wrote down all the names. I could see right now out of the, the four most likely gone, not including Harper, I'll put Jared Harper up there too. So the top five guys I can see being not on this team by the time opening day, Randall and Bullock. I think Bullock was – his option was picked up to trade to a contender. Randall, self-explanatory. Then you have Jacob Evans, who I think was part of the Spellman deal. He's probably gone. And like I said, you have Jared Harper and Theo Pinson. That's the – I think that was the person – people mentioned that Kid Gilchrist could take his two-way contract slot. So I could see those five going if MKG is not one of the five that are gone. And how do you guys think about MKG as a backup to Obi since Obi seems to be an offensively heavy person and then you have MKG who's pretty much the polar opposite, who is the polar opposite? I don't hate it. I hate I, it. I, I just play Knox or Iggy as the back. I like what – that the Randall trade is the the key to everything because they really have they've they've constructed this roster. If you don't have to give Randall twenty to thirty minutes a night, it's you're you you got two guards. You're gonna be playing RJ at the three, and then you're gonna have your your four and Mitch. If you can have your four, if you can split all those four minutes between Obi, Knox, maybe even throw RJ at the four, that, that's the biggest difference between this offseason and last offseason is that they, they've made it much easier to play all of these guards and wings than they, than they have previously. You're not going to – there's not – you don't have – there's not a bunch of guys. You got your center minutes are going to be Mitch and Noel. Those two cannot play together. It's not a situation where – Portis can shift down to the four. He can switch back and forth between the four and the five. Taj, you might use at the four and the five. Marcus is going to play the three and the four. Randall can play the four. It's it's limited. Like this this roster has a lot of guards and wings on it. That's what we've been what we've been asking for. And so if they can get rid of those Randall twenty to thirty minutes, where 
what we have this year is you have a situation where you can kind of see how all of these young players can look in their correct roles. Like that, that's what I liked about the Burks and Rivers signings is that, look, no, they're not long-term pieces on this team, that they're seventh, eighth, ninth men on, on good basketball teams. But their balance of being able to shoot and play off the ball plus handle the ball and create allows them, they can play with Frank, they can play with RJ, they can play with Dennis, they can play with Alfred when while he's still getting minutes. So you have functionality with these guys that can kind of let everyone play in their correct roles. If you have Randall, if you don't have Randall there, everything, they're still going to be bad either way. Then you don't have to worry about splitting all the minutes with Randall and Toppin. Just everything kind of kind of makes sense if you don't have Randall in the mix. Like you see what you get out of the young players as they're allowed to play their correct roles and even expand because you can you let Frank and Dennis handle the little the ball maybe more than they should and not have Alex Burks, Alec Burks handle it as much as he should if you were like legitimately trying to win with this team. So I think there's a it's it's a roster that that does make sense from a development perspective if you don't have Randall in the mix. If you do have Randall in the mix, that can fuck things up a little bit. Yeah, that's that's my only real concern. And you guys even know since last season that I've been a big – I was a big fan of Randall's game in the modern NBA. I don't think it really made sense with the roster they brought him into, but he is obviously a very useful player, a very talented player. It's just they – it's a bad fit here. And I think you got – you know – they tried to clean those things up. Like Mike Miller last year after taking over, tried to clean things up. And Randall was much, much better under Mike Miller for what it's worth by almost every measure. So he's obviously still a good enough player. Like I think you can move him somewhere. I think for his own sake, he's got to go someplace where he could play in a, in a better, uh, you know, system than trying to force feed him as the top option. You know, it, it's kind of not really doing him justice. So, um, but I agree with you. I think that's basically the main thing here because everything else kind of makes sense. And again, it's not, you know, I've been, you know, kind of shat on in years past for always being the the negative guy. But I thought that, you know, I'm mostly in line with what Brian is saying. I think if you can move Randall, like this actually kind of makes some sense. Like it was the same thing we said at the draft. I was like, I like the next draft. I'd like it a lot more if they found a way to move Randall because then both these guys make a hell of a lot more sense with the things that they can do with them in these lineups. So um, I'm curious to see what happens. The Knicks play in two weeks. Uh, that was the other thing that happened uh, yesterday, the preseason schedule drop. They're going to play uh, the Pistons in Detroit twice, and then they're going to play the Cavs at MSG twice. Uh, so it's a four-game preseason. So that's our first look at them. But, you know, I think a lot can happen in two weeks with the way this this offseason has already been happening. But um, – Got You got to get Randall out. He's the only piece that really doesn't make sense. And I do agree with you on the guard thing, too, which is, again, to my point, too. I think people I'm now realizing uh, with, the, with my tweet about Frank thought I meant to trade Frank. I didn't say to trade Frank. I just meant out of that lineup. I'd like to clarify this yet again for all the Frank people I've offended. I just you, did the, you did this to yourself. I think people, okay, everybody's a little bit nuts with Frank, okay? Like, you got you to gotta understand. A lot of the stuff with Frank is tied to what everybody thinks he hopefully can do one day versus what's actually happening. So I understand that people's beliefs are there. But just like anybody else, you could believe in different prospects differently. It's not insane. It's not a hot take. I think everybody's got to relax. But I didn't say for him to be traded. I wasn't trying to trade him. 
merely out of the lineup that we are hypo- you know, talking about hypothetically on Twitter.com. I just but, think um, some fan, Frank fans, I mean, we say it over and over, but Frank supporters are getting up there in terms of – they're getting up there with Z Rose fans in terms of people I've dealt with. Luckily, I'm one of them, so I don't get the visceral reaction that you get. But there's a, there's an important thing to point out that while Frank may not be the point guard of the future or mini Giannis or whatever else these delusional people want to think, he is still a key rotational player, I think, on a good team. That's just the way I feel on it. But. Sure. They, they should give him a four-year, $18 million contract if he would take one. Yeah, 100%. They, they should absolutely extend him in something like that range. And your baseline is he's going to be – a young seventh eighth man that if he hits continues to hit corner threes at the rate he did last year could conceivably close games for, for a good team. And you're still working with upside of a 22 year old player who did start to show more in the creation at the end of last season, when he was able to start playing point guard a little bit more and he did, he did well. Yeah. I think that point guard stuff is actually going to help him because he would at least understand where to fit on the floor and who to get involved. Like, if he's playing with Dennis, I really think people pick Dennis versus Frank. That's a pairing we didn't really see that much, and we wanted to. But like we said, we had veterans in front of them. So when we see how those two look out, let's see how Frank, RJ, and quickly work out. I think there's a lot of lineups where Dennis and Frank can thrive. Not to bring this all the way back to Dennis and Frank, but just wanted to say that. Yeah. Look, if if they move Randall – they could do a lot of fun things. You can almost do any of the lineups that anybody wants to do because, like Brian said, we have lots of wings. And even the Burks thing, you know, I understand that obviously you're going to want some of these younger guys that, you know, you either drafted or already have on the roster to, you know, get more of those minutes or reps. But I thought that was a pretty, like, awesome signing, to be honest. Like, it took me a few days to, like, sit on it. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's anything uh, amazing. He's 29 years old. Like, he kind of is what he is. But he's like – you know, this is a guy who did a little bit of everything last year, 15, four and three. And, you know, a lot of threes at almost 39%. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Like, that's, that's what we wanted. You know what I mean? He takes like half his shots from deep. Like that's, that's good enough for me for a guy who's knocking them down and, and can score a little bit. Like we need offense. That's all that, that's all that I'm saying at this point. It's not like, it's not such a, an anti-Frank thing. If we had a point guard who could score, you know what I mean? Just like any point guard who could score, like shoot a little bit. Frank as a two guard next to RJ makes like tons of sense. I just don't know that Emmanuel quickly would be that guy because the whole, when we, when we hopped on these pods, like the first thing that you guys always told me with quickly, and I've been watching back through some of the games is like, okay, like he can get to the rim. He's got the floater. He could shoot, but it's like him running an offense, him dribbling, like you, you, there was a lot of jest with that. And that's why I was like, I don't know that I, I like that a lot. Cause I don't know that that, that point RJ is really going to be fully, fully empowered this season. Well, that, and that's what I think where I think the point of Burks and Rivers come in is that they, those two can play between RJ and one of quickly or Frank who you want some additional ball handling help with. Right. And that's, but, but they can also shoot off the ball and catch and shoot, shoot situations. So it just gives you some flexibility to mix and match some things. If you do want to play Frank and quickly to guard opposing teams once. 
I just, I really do wonder if they're going to move Randall. If they move Randall, like, we could actually have some fun with what's happening here. But I, like, where do you think he goes? I, and everybody's almost said this would be a given at this point with Randall. But where, where do you guys honestly think he's going to end up? I, I know we talk about Charlotte as, like, the, the destination. It's been the destination since last year. You know, they had some interest in him. I think Rozier was initially going to come back, which wouldn't even be the worst thing in the world for this upcoming season. So where do you guys stand on, on that, I guess, or where would you see him realistically landing? Where do I want to see him? That's a tougher question. I really don't see many partners. That's the problem. And now – I feel like once they signed Noel, you kind of eliminated the one thing that Randall could have possibly done, which is play a little small ball five. I think it's going to be a random team that we don't expect because even before the pod, we were talking through a Charlotte deal, and I still don't see how that's fully made. Maybe Houston, but we would probably have to take on Russ. Like it's, There's not any appetizing deals here that I at least I'm not seeing right away. I mean, Detroit's clueless, so – they seem to be signing every power forward known to man. But I don't even think they're that stupid. I, I really just – I'm looking at all the teams right now. I just can't think. Maybe – no, not even Chicago. I can't think of anyone, honestly. Just wave him. Just pay him his money. Don't stretch him. Just, just pay him his money and let him go somewhere else. That, that's how I would handle it. I think that's the only option they have in – I said earlier, before we started recording, I don't see them doing it because while it's not embarrassing, I do think that they can view it as embarrassing as that was the top guy they signed last summer after they missed on Durant. But you're right. I just don't see any plausible deal that that doesn't include taking on a Russell Westbrook or John Wall-sized contract. Because I, I don't think Oladipo – I don't think you're going to get Oladipo for Randall. Well, speaking of the big contracts, and I'm going to pick this up on the other side of an ad here, but – um. There is one guy in Charlotte that we should keep our eyes on that makes a lot of sense for what the Knicks have been doing and could be doing with the trade. So we're going to break for the ad here, and then we'll pick it right back up. See you guys on the other side. Welcome back, folks. So right before we broke, I did mention that in Charlotte, I did have my eyes on another contract. And it's not just me. I think a lot of Knicks fans in general, uh, you know, maybe wanted to see the Nick Batum contract uh, contract come over to the Knicks uh maybe in a Julius Randle deal that's the deal where you know you, the Knicks are going to take back 11 million more than they'd be sending out if you did something straight up or you know revolving around that and and a, an asset or two to take on a contract of that size but um just knowing that Charlotte was trying to get that contract out of there I think everybody kind of expected that for the type of player that he is in in the year 2020 and beyond uh, I think that's kind of the right idea. And I, I think if you're Charlotte and Michael Jordan, I think uh, that's something that you probably think maybe makes some sense because the rest of your roster construction generally does not. So I, I would like to see that. I think it makes some sense if the interest was already there for that kind of a player. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's the type of deals they should be looking for, big contracts, but – take on assets and a team like Charlotte I mean we talked we joked about the Knicks last pod with who which team are you willing to bet on gets it wrong and Knicks are up there and the Hornets are not far behind so I think any pick of theirs 
would have value. I was looking more towards 2023, 2024 for taking Batum, but I think Brian mentioned it before the pod. If they think their Hornets are going to be good next year because they signed Hayward, got LaMelo, they could talk themselves into being good next year. Shit, I'll take their pick. I'll take any pick in the 2021 draft after watching the opening few games of college basketball. So I think that's one of the major deals they should be looking towards, and hopefully that includes Randall. But like I said, it's hard to hard to form a offer right now. There's there's a couple ways you could go about it with the horn with the with the Hornets because they have Rand they have they have uh, Batum they have Cody Zeller's contract that's expiring and also like 14 million and they have Rogier who they'd probably want to get out of the extra year. It's just a question of what are they willing to attach to that stuff if Randall is going back to them because the point of them making this deal, you can't do Randall Batum one for one because then they're not saving the money. The entire point of this is for them to save money so they can sign Hayward. So you have to start taking other stuff back from them and for them to legitimately save money. Rogier is the guy that you have to take back because then that's going into their next year so that they're saving money. If you add, that's like 50 some odd million dollars or whatever, and you're just shipping them Randall. I don't know how the cap stuff on all that works, but but then if you're taking on the where it gets sticky is you you do take on that extra year of Rozier and you're saving them money. You're gonna want picks. You're gonna want like you're gonna want significant things back from them. So it get it it get it gets complicated. I mean, so this is my question with the Rozier thing. When we talked about Rozier potentially signing with the Knicks last year, I was out on it for obvious Knicks reasons. I felt like that was not the guy to take the stab on being your lead guard. However, he ended up having a a pretty decent season in Charlotte. So I guess my point is to you guys, while I'm not sold on him as some point guard of the future, is it worth, if you think, or if you're the Knicks and you know that you're getting a point guard, next offseason somehow some way you're drafting what you think is your point guard of uh, of the future in the first round with with your best pick or you're gonna sign somebody who's available in free agency it's a much better free agent class is it really the worst thing in the world to have a slightly overpaid bench guard who can do some scoring and a lot of the little things not the worst in the world I, i don't think that if you're going to get an asset back with Batum and you get Randall out of here and the roster then makes more sense and you get a better guard back, and that's potentially a guy who could play behind, you know, one of the the star guys you could, you know, pipe dream, but luck into next season with the draft. I don't know that I'm very against that. I, I think there's worse situations to be in than like, okay, Terry, you got to play backup PG for the the new guard that we got as he's about to be shown the door on his contract. You know what I mean? I think I can, I think I can make myself be okay with that if that was the case. Um, I'd be cool with it. Uh, how how I look at it is one you you'd want to prioritize trading Payton once he is available to be moved and clearing out that roster spot. But I would be I'd roll with it, and then if the next off after this season, if you have the ability to improve a roster, the roster in a way 
that is significantly better and you're ready to go be a playoff team and you need you need to get off that money, you have an abundance of picks that you could use to get off of that money if it was worth it. And if you're in a situation where, hey, we don't really need this cap space right now, it's we got we got our number one pick. We're gonna kind of we're we're not ready to take that step forward. Like you look at what the Hawks and the Suns did. Like it took they they had they, it was two full seasons of Trey Young before they were they attempted to move it forward. It was with Booker. It was four four full seasons before they started to move it forward. I know this isn't one Knicks fans want to hear, but if you get that, say you do get that star in the draft, it, it, it could still be another year or two before they're, they're really ready to, to move it forward. And that guy becomes the uh, attractive person, like the veteran, like those mid-year to mid-year vets, like the 25-year-olds to 30-year-olds are going to want to see the player actually be good before like okay i want to go play with this guy it's not gonna, it's not going to happen immediately so you get your guy who you hope you is the star in the next draft it could still take time and having rogier as a as a stopgap is is perfectly fine it's not it's not like a long-term damaging contract for you you can you can live with it and uh, as a quick note just on the the money saving point you brought up um, so I, I did the, the numbers real quick. If Charlotte sends out Batum and Rozier, uh, they'd be sending out 20, that's 27 million from Batum. And then you get two years of Rozier at 18 million. So, you know, th- they're saving a ton of money. They, they save a ton of money that way. The, the trade works out if you just send Randall straight up, but I'd assume you know, you might be taking on it. I would assume a pick's coming back in this situation if you're taking on that much salary for the Hornets. So it it does check out. I think that might be some sort of the framework for it, or at least the one that makes the most sense, but we'll see. Yeah, and Terry's, like I think Brian hit on, Terry's much more watchable too as well than help, than Alfred. And he could have value next season as an expiring. So there is a lot of outs if it doesn't work out. And if you get a pick and Malik Monk back or a pick and Miles Bridges or anybody, I think that's a win because what other big contracts are you eating that's not crippling your cap for the next couple of years? And and also, you know, Rozier, for anybody that would want to try to talk themselves into this too, I mean, he, he takes a lot of threes. He shot, you know, almost 15 shots a game. About seven of those were threes. He's taken almost 50% of his shots, you know, from deep he's hitting them almost 41 percent like that's good 87 percent from the line like that's good I understand he has some warts aside from that warts that I wanted to avoid but at this at this price point for what we could potentially be getting out of it he makes a lot more sense you know this year than he did a, a season ago so I'd be I'd be fine with that I think that addresses some holes in the short term too I think you could do a lot worse than that yeah, that's a contract a contender might want to take on, or not a contract, but a player a contender might want to take on an expiring deal at the deadline next the season after this. So that's I think there's a lot of outs and there's not a lot of downside. Well, like what is the downside to this? I really don't see much. I, I don't know that there is any downside to that, other than if you're being cynical, you think the Knicks think that Terry Rozier is the point guard of the future, but <laughs> right, but right. even but even then. 
if they did think that there's, and again, can't believe I'm saying this, but there's worse things than the Knicks talking themselves into a high three-point shooting, high-volume three-point shooting point guard who also can rebound and assist a little bit. You know, like, I think if that's your worst-case scenario, I think I'd be a little bit unhappy, but also uh, the, would, would slightly understand. But even then, I think that's a long shot. The, the downside is that you have to use, uh, instead of being able to use the 2023 Mavs pick as part of uh, a star trade, you have to use it to get out of that contract. But then again, if you're using the pick to get out of the contract, it means it, it better mean that like you're getting a very clear and obvious upgrade because there's no reason to get rid of someone who plays like he can't cramp up something the way the same way Randall can because it's just it his he fits with more a, a wider variety of players like you don't need a specific team build to fit him in with with Randall you need something very specific for it to work you need that Serge Ibaka Kristaps Porzingis type center for Randall to be able to function on both ends and with Rogier, you can kind of just throw him in with anyone and you just got to kind of get him to play the right way, which is, which I guess can be difficult. I deal with Terry minutes over Alfred minutes every day of the week. Yeah. I wouldn't really even think twice about it, to be honest with you. Look, if I sound like a broken record at this point, if you're a point guard and you shoot a lot of threes and you shoot them over 36, 37%, chances are I'm going to be interested. The bar is hell here, and all of the young players that the Knicks want to invest their futures into, or at least that's what it looks like as of today's date, all of those guys need point guards who can do that. So any way that we can get it right now, even if it's a stopgap, is going to help their improvement and their growth. So that's all that I'm really worried about. Like, for me, like that, that's it's very simple. That's why when Mike suggested the, the Lonzo Ball trade, Mike, I've been very open about not liking Lonzo Ball. However, Lonzo Ball shot six three six threes a game at thirty eight percent last year, and Alfred shot twenty percent. It's like at some point, like it really is that simple. Just get the guards in that can shoot some threes to help open up the offense for these young guys. Still love Lonzo, New York man. You just reminded me about that. And shout out to the people saying he's Lonzo shot forty percent from the field, so he's still a bum. That that was just that that to me, to me that to me is like bringing up batting average in baseball without without acknowledging how outdated the context of just using that is. Like that's right. that's kind of where I'm at. Like if you bring a field goal percentage, that's fine. There's plenty of players, even though that's like not the greatest way to evaluate anybody. There's plenty of guys where the field goal percentage matches up with mostly what you're seeing out there on the floor. There's a lot of other guys, however, if you're only looking at the field goal percentage, it's like, you know, they shoot three or four two-point shots a game while they shoot six or seven threes a game. And it's like, if you're shooting that many threes, of course your overall field goal percentage is going to be way lower. It's very, it's, it's, it's common sense in, in the modern basketball era that that's how that works. So you can't just cite the field goal percentage blindly like that. Hard agree. Where I, I do think where Lonzo gets a little complicated is it's it's more of the same that they have outside of Dennis with the young guards. Like, you know, you have Quickly and Frank who aren't 
you do want someone who's a little bit more of a lead ball handler. Like Lonzo, I think is more of a two than a one yeah. in, in a half court set. You, he's great at getting out in transition, pushing the ball ahead. But once you end up in a half court set, you're not, you don't want to be asking him to run pick and roll and initiate the offense. That's, that would be putting him in a position to fail. So you do need to, you kind of, Lonzo, who I, I like as a player, he is a good player. Him and RJ can work. I'd be, if you have a, a quick lead guard who can break down a defense and also shoot, I think you could get away with him and with Lonzo and RJ together. But if you have another guard who can't create with them or can't shoot, you're in a, you're, you're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, that's fair. And I do agree with that. And I think, I think when was the, what were we talking about with the scope of Lonzo? I think we were talking more about, was it in regards to elf? I can't remember what it started with. Basically, think, it, be, it basically became, okay, well, if you don't trust Alfred to be the start of the season and you needed to find a, a team that was going to be selling a guard, which team would it be? And right, okay. for a lot of people, it's the Pelicans who have like six point guards on the roster. So it becomes, well, they probably slash might trade one of those guys unless they want to just run two or three guard lineups all the time. Um, so, you know, I know Brian has brought up the, the Eric Bledsoe situation to me for the same reason that, you know, we bring up the Lonzo thing. It's, are, are any of these guys that are, you know, they're fine players. They're, they're perfectly good. Okay. Players that would be upgrades on this team. Are any of those guys worth bringing in? And it's like, for me, for, for the money, I think Lonzo probably makes a little bit more sense, but you know, I, I do much generally Bledsoe sign for. Four, I think four years. So that, yeah, yeah. that's that's a no go. You don't want I'm good on that. And yeah, like I said, yeah, I've mentioned a couple of times, my anger towards Bledsoe is 100% gambling fueled. So I'll recuse myself. I'm talking on further, further, but fuck that. The the problem, something we also need to consider, and and I think I thought of this when we're talking about the the Pelicans with they they have Lewis who we think they'd want to play. But, and I think this is something we have to consider with the Knicks and Toppin too, with there basically being no summer league, no training camp, limited preseason. It might take a little bit more time for these rookies to play and be able to f- just to get their feet wet and learn than it typically would. Like usually have eight preseason games. They've gone through summer league. They have month and a half of training camp it's going to be a it's going to be quick so it might be if i i'm not going to freak out if Toppin doesn't start right off right off the bat if it takes two three weeks for him to kind of like by by a month into the season he should be starting and playing 25 30 minutes but the ramp up could be your that that regular season might get used as the ramp up rather than the preseason that were to and training camp that were typically accustomed. Right. So I think the main thing is that folks just want to see that there's a plan with these guys. And as long as it's, even if it's slow developing, I think as long as they see it developing, they'll be okay with it. Like, at least that's how I feel. Like, I think all of us want, or at least thought 
the indication was taking OB meant Randall was going to be gone uh, immediately, which again can be true. There's time for that to happen, but you know, if, if it happens a couple weeks into the season or if the way they ramp up, simply ramp up OB if Randall's on the roster, I think that's fine too. The thing is we just want to see that happen. You know, last year there was an issue sometimes where we'd be told one thing and then if you looked at what they were telling you, it didn't match up with what was happening. Like last year, um, we were hoping Mitchell Robinson would start to get ramped up. And as the season went on, you know, me especially, but a lot of fans wanted to see him start to, you know, get his starting job over Taj Gibson and or at least big, big minutes. And there was like a, a week stretch where he, he did take on bigger minutes. But then after that, uh, Mike Miller at, at press conference, you know, told me specifically to my face that, well, if you look, Mitchell's on an upward uh, trajectory with his minutes so that, you know, eventually he can get towards starting. And then at the press conference, I then looked at the last nine games and he was actually on a downward trajectory with his minutes. So it's like, as long as we can see the evidence is there, like, oh, okay, Obi's been on a slow ramp up. Like they're starting to trust him more. He's starting to get more reps. I think that that's all we want to see. If you're going to draft these kids and take them in the first round, it's like we want to just see that they're going to get their reps, at least try them out. Like, as much as we, you know, shit on Knox now, at least Knox, the first season with Fisdale, Fisdale gave him a zillion reps. Like, I will give David Fisdale that much. He let Kevin Knox run wild. So, it's like, we just want to see – he also didn't have much of a choice. That roster was horrible. But it's like, we just want to see that. Show us a little bit of a plan, something resembling of a plan. With You now have three guys who you can deem somewhat important. You know, it's not just RJ, Mitch, maybe Frank figures it out, maybe Knox figures it out. Now you have, you know, two young guys you have stated are foundational pieces. And then Obi, you were dying to get. That's that's all the reports. They were dying to get Obi. They couldn't believe he was there. They had to get him. So if you feel so strongly about these guys and they got to play or you got to show us the plan towards that for them, that's all. It's a very simple ask this season. And my worry with – the team messaging what we're actually seeing is Randall does stay around because that Calipari video I mentioned earlier, as he's going through the list of guys, he mentions Randall explicitly and saying, Kenny see what he looks like after Kenny works with him. So my worry is they hold Randall to the deadline now. Like now that I'm just like thinking it through and listening to you guys, I can really see a world where Julius Randall's here for the first half of the season, Obi's being brought along slowly. If, and then after that, I don't know. I do think they're going to give every Randall every chance to look decent. Literally, the only thing that would in there's I'm, I've been very calm about the next like nothing's nothing's made me get angry yet. The thing that would enrage me is if they play Obi and Randall together at the three and four. They can't. I could see them doing it too. Everyone needs to be fired immediately if they try and do yeah. it. Just everyone gone. I, the, if that happens once, I want everyone gone. Uh, no, I, I agree. That'd be the most ridiculous thing, man. I think the only other position to play for OB should be uh, some kind of a small ball five in spurts, seeing as his best defensive strength is him being tall and athletic and near the rim. Uh, it would mitigate some of that. And again, maybe that's not something you want to do forever and I know you just signed Nerlens Noel so maybe what I'm suggesting uh doesn't see the light of day this season but I I think that's where you'd want to go with Obi I think if you bump him up to the three this is classic 2013-2014 Knicks the east is big man and I'm I think that's about you know 
as bad a decision as you could make. I, I don't see like I'm, I'm down for going all in on offense, but not like that, bro. Not like that. That's not going all in on offense. I mean, there's to, to them. There's to at least them. four. Fi- there's four. The, the, the five Knicks pictures. looking at that. With, the Knicks looking at that would then go, "Oh, we got to put Obi at the three to keep Randall in at four for offense." Like that. No. That would then be the. I'm, I'm. I'm just saying. Like if you're looking at no, no, them, them do that. That's the logic. They truly. It's not for defense. They believe like, oh, we're gonna get point. We're getting points with this lineup. No, but I, in in reality, Reggie Bullock playing the three is probably a better offensive player than Obi Toppin playing the three. Yeah, yeah. It, it's about fit. That Obi doesn't make sense. He's a dynamite like stretch four face up type option. At, at, at you know what I mean. Right now, it doesn't make any sense at the three. Where in, in today's NBA, you basically need that person to be a you know off ball kind of knockdown shooter if they're not a superstar. It doesn't really make much sense to do that unless you just want him catching and shooting five six threes a game. But I don't think that's why he's here either. I can totally see it, and I blame the Nuggets in advance for this because I feel like teams, Detroit's already doing it with they're adding a ton of bigs where teams are just going to try and tread out four or five, seven footers in one lineup. And obviously Obi's not a seven footer and should not be anywhere near small forward, but I can already see it. I can already hear the spin on it where, well, Obi had to play the four in college because that was what his team needed. He's actually very quick. It's like, no, let's not play around. Let's keep him where he should be. But I can already see the Knicks spin going on this where Randall's still around. They can't get rid of him. So they're going to just force Obi's into the lineup at one point, And it's going to be at the three at some points. I could easily see it. I hope yeah, that, that's going to piss me off. But I do think Kyle mentioned it. I actually do think to, to maximize Obi's skill set, I do think you want him taking six to eight threes a game once he starts playing real minutes. Like you want him – like, that's what his college shot profile was. It was getting to the rim and taking threes. Nothing about that should change. He should he, – he, and I know we only took, like, two a game in college, but he should, he should take more. Like, you, you got him. Like, that's – it's game time. Like, start launching. Like, I, that's what I want to see from him. I want to see if he can be a high-volume three-point shooter in addition to all the explosive stuff going to the rim and beating the bigger guys off the dribble. That's – how you maximize his value. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see. I, I doubt very much it would be that higher mark of what you just mentioned or even six, but um, if they could even get him to go from, you know, two-ish attempts in college to just kind of right out of the gates four in the NBA, I think that at least shows me that that's where you value him. I, ideally, obviously, we want him to get as many reps and looks as he can he's, he's probably the best offensive option uh younger offensive option anyway in terms of uh, his his natural scoring ability so it's like we want him to be able to do that but just I'm skeptical that you know they ever do the things that we want so I think four is probably about realistic where it would show me like okay you do value the threes you do value them at that position and from this player that you drafted so some sense of a plan is now in place like that's at least where I could be on board yeah, if his, if his shot attempts could mirror kind of what Amari's were before Carmelo came, I'll be very happy. That's all I'm really asking for at this point. Just dunk the ball and shoot. I don't think he's a mid-range guy, so I don't think we have to worry about that too much where he's just shooting contested mid-ranges. The game, the full games I've started to watch, I'm going through a rewatch with him, he seems to be a smart shot taker too. Like if he's covered, he's going to find the open man. That's another part of his game I think can play really well with a guy like Quickly 
if RJ can bump up those catch and shoot numbers where I do think he's the better shooter. I think RJ off the dribble is still a big enigma. So I do like Obi as kind of like a small ball four more than anything else. If he could just shoot these shots, if he could just hit a respectable clip, I don't expect him to go from 40% in college on two-ish attempts a game to 40% on four attempts in the NBA. I think that would be patently ridiculous. But I do think expecting him to be at least a little bit below league average his first season on four attempts is more than enough for his other skills to then start to shine through. Like if, if you're a stretch four and you're taking three, four attempts a game and hitting them at, you know, 34, 35% at least as a big, they're going to have to run you off that line a little bit. And then he's fine with that because he can handle the ball enough and pass enough as a big where with more spacing, hopefully on, on an NBA floor, uh, he can start to do a little bit of that with ease. That's my hope anyway. And I think it really does start with getting him those looks from deep. If, if it's, well, he, he's a four, so we're going to do, do the traditional Knicks thing where we're going to give him the ball, uh, ball in the block and you know, let him go to work and a lot of isolation. And that, then I think it gets hairy. But if they're going to at least like, let him start to shoot some threes, I think that's the best way because even Mike Miller last season, after he took over with Randall, that's a lot of what Randall was doing. They spaced him out a little bit more into the corner at, you know, to at least let him look like a stretch four. And then he was just either catching the ball and hoisting it up and hitting them at slightly better clip. Or when they would close out on him, he would just, okay, I can dribble the ball a little bit. I'm going right to the rim where I have an easier look now. And I think as a stretch four in the NBA, like that's really the game plan. That's really the blueprint. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's got the skills to do it. I, I just really hope that they're going to empower him that way this season. Yeah, six attempts and he shoots thirty six percent from three. I'm, I'm wearing a smile all day. Over the moon, over the moon, like I, I, that's all I want to see. Just show me a plan. Like I, I think that's kind of the, the whole point with this podcast is we just want to see the next steps for the plan. With the way that they've even constructed this roster, while it's not even a fascinating or an overly impressive off season, there's enough that could be done with just a couple of tweaks and with the resources that they have that within the next year, you could at least see a plan and start to have a little bit of faith. You know, any GM, I feel like with this roster, with this many high level draft picks, uh, this many picks you're about to be able to make this much available cap space, like you should be able to fall ass backwards into clear progress the next two seasons. And it really just begins with making a couple of what we and a lot of Knicks fans feel are kind of obvious moves to clean these things up a little bit. And it really does revolve around the Julius Randle thing. So as much as the test as we have for Alfred Payton, I think if Randle gets cleared anyway, Payton starts to look a little bit better. Things start to make a little bit more sense. And then, you know, again, maybe they give more opportunities to the young guys or any of these, these young guards or wings that they have, but you know, it's, it's a better position for once. And we just want to see them at least, if nothing else, be creative with the lineup to lean and season the young guys. You can't just punt every season and then overplay veteran players either. So I, I'm, I'm curious, but it's like, I, I'm really not angry about anything. Only thing that would make me angry is like, I, personally, if Michael Kidd Gilchrist actually makes the roster, I'd be a little bit upset. I don't think he'd play a lot, but I'd be a little bit upset. I'm not going to lie to you guys either. But I, I, it's not, there's no like end of the world thing for me this offseason. It's, it's very, very simple, obvious asks, I feel like, where they're at in this, at this point in time. Yeah, I'm very comfortable being a bottom five team this year. I think if we can guarantee ourselves a top seven pick in the 21 draft, we're already in good shape. But getting there, I do want to see even Knox play a lot more than he did last season. That's my only ask. Just play the young guys, and if you suck, 
great. If you show a little progress, even better. That That's exactly it. It's just, this is, you give them a little bit of time to give the vets fine, make sure, give it 15, 20 games. You, all right, we suck. We know it, but we were, we're going to let these guys play a little bit. And then you, you move it along. That's the, that's where they failed last year. They never they've reached the obvious point of suck. And then they didn't, shift they just kept grinding away at getting to 30 wins and this year it just needs to be like all right we suck let's move it along and see what we have and based on how they operated this offseason there was no there was no panic moves there was no there was no rushing they they were patient they didn't overpay for anyone they had guys they would have signed at the right price but they those deals went, whether it be years or amount, went above what they were willing to do. So they moved it along. And so I would hope that the coaching staff has the same mindset that the front office did. And then everything should be, we should be good. At 30 games into this season when they're 10 and 20, or five and 25 or whatever it is, just play the right players and let's kind of see what we have here. So we know who can be a piece going forward and who can't be a piece going forward. That's my main thing. I think is it's decision time for a lot of young guys. Like, you know, Frank included Knox included. It's like, you're getting to the point now where having all these picks and young guys is great, but at the same time, mathematically, you can't keep all these young guys and develop them and give them meaningful minutes while bringing in two, three new picks every year with all these picks that you have if you're not going to move them. So you're going to have to start turning some of these guys over if you're not going to play them. You know, the, the Iggy's who didn't get burned last year, the, the Knox's who got their playing time drastically slashed, the Franks who haven't, you know, given enough meaningful improvement year over year. It's like you, at some point you got to start deciding – are these guys going to be part of the long-term future or not? Like, are we actually comfortable? You can't keep doing this. Well, we'll give him a look for 20 games, and then he's not going to play for five or six. Or, you know, you, you got to start developing like a like a consistent commitment to some of these guys. And if you're not going to do that, that's fine with certain other guys, but you got to start to cut bait or move them for whatever value they still have. It's just because, like, you, just from a young guy perspective, it's going to start becoming a log jam, and it's only going to get worse with all the picks that you have. The only reason for op- – well, not the only reason, but the main reason for optimism that they will actually play the right people this year is they don't have pie on their face. Unlike last year, I think people really underplay how chest out the Knicks were about getting Durant and missing out on him no matter how much they try and spin it, whether they took a meeting or not. They were embarrassed. They embarrassed themselves. And then they doubled down by saying, we put together a roster that could win basketball games which was clearly false. That's None of that happened this year. This year was all about acquiring as many second-round 2023 picks as possible, acquiring draft rights to guys to use in, further, in future trades. I feel like it's been a more measured approach this year, so I do think we, we will at least see the right people play. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, they've done everything except that really the last couple of years. It's been sign a bunch of one-year deals on former, you know, lottery picks or draft busts. And then those guys or whatever mediocre uh, vets you bring in are going to eat 25 to 30 minutes a night. 
and play in front of and block a lot of the young guys. So it would be nice if for once there was uh, the young guys playing and playing correct roles. I think you like Brian mentioned earlier in the pot, you got enough guys now to be able to do that. So you can't since 2017, they've been pitching this, this rebuild culture. We're going to do things the right way. Nonsense. And if you're really going to do it, you got to really do it. Like you can't just keep talking about it every year. And then when the season starts, it's a bunch of vets playing, it's thinking it up. So that's all that we want to see. Just if they do that this year, like everybody genuinely for once will be actually happy with the 2021 free agent and draft classes coming up. Like it's, it's really a, a simple thing. There's no harm. Worst case scenario, all the kids stink or continue to stink, which is all that's happened the last couple of years anyway. So that would then ensure you a top pick. So no matter which way you want to slice it, the correct route was just lean into playing the kids. It's very, very simple. I hope that the Knicks actually do it for once. It would be nice. Um, all right. Well, on that note, I don't think there's uh, any anything else uh, particularly pressing. I think uh, we hit on all the the newsworthy items. Um, did I mention Emmanuel quickly is going to wear number five next season? No, you just. I was just about to remind you. Yes, quickly okay. officially signed. Quickly officially signed. He's wearing number five. Uh, that was formerly Dennis Smith Jr.'s number. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is now number four, I believe. Yeah, let the uh, Knicks know because they put out a happy birthday tweet with number five for Dennis Smith Jr. It, very, just very Come silly. On, uh, you got one literal job. Um, so <laughs> it is what it is. But So we'll see. Uh, that's the last real number update. But, yeah, every, it looks like everybody signed. Obi signed. Quickly signed. Uh, you know. The notorious MKG has signed. So seems like we got everybody that needs to be in. So we'll see. This will probably be more or less the roster heading into training camp. A reminder, we have Knicks basketball 13 days from today. They will kick it off in Detroit once again at 7 p.m. on December 11th. Uh, so you get to see Obi and Mitch take on the infinite Detroit Pistons power forwards. Um, that'll be quite the battle so uh everybody buckle up and just get you know remember we got Knicks basketball coming up it's coming up fast man off season was fast season's going to be here even faster so uh, excited to see what this team starts to look like for once um oh also uh just a little house clean, uh, housekeeping um you may have noticed the ob top and shirts are not on the website anymore this is going to come to either you know uh, heartbreaking news to some people who haven't realized and we're waiting to buy the shirt or, uh, you know, just a, a painstaking reminder for those of you who do know that, but we sold a lot of shirts the first day and uh, we're on a, a little bit of a, a hold right now is the way that I will word it. So um, we're going to try our best to get those shirts back in stock as quickly as we can. Uh, hopefully we can do that ahead of the holidays, but in the meantime, while we're working through that and uh, you could just go to design tree uh, yeah, designtree.com slash the Knicks ball. Check out the rest of our designs. We got some uh, Mitch, Neil Aquina, uh, some other ugly Christmas sweaters for you guys, uh, uh, you know, some good jerseys still. So we're, we're working on some more OB stuff for you guys. Do not fret. The OB1 shirts, we're trying to, to get something back up for you. Do not fret. But uh, just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update. We were getting a lot of DMs, a lot of tweets, a lot of questions. So just wanted a brief update there. Yeah, and don't resell them on StockX like a clown. Please don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> please, please don't. A, very, a good amount of you guys got that shirt the first day because you were smart and important and supported us, which, again, thank you. But uh, no, no second-hand market clownery here. I think we're better than that as a community. So uh, make sure you're checking out thenickswall.com. 
uh, every day. You guys have been really great lately with uh, supporting the brand online and then boosting and reading a lot of our work. So please continue to do that. We appreciate it for sure. Uh, but uh, Brian, thank you for coming on, making your uh, your your podcast reappearance after what was a small hiatus. So appreciate that. No problem. And the hiatus will be back. <laughs> so there's that. Um, Mike, thanks for joining me again, as always. And we will talk to you guys next time.